0: Does Anyone else identify with loving alone time? Yeah. Um, sometimes you just need to be alone, away from people, um, to get some rest, to get some restoration, some refreshment, and maybe other R's, because that's why they call it R and R. But there is a danger in being alone. I don't get as many amens on that one. I guess. <clears throat> yeah. All right. There we go. She's not sure why she's saying amen, but thank you for the encouragement. But if we're not careful, though, what can happen with our alone time uh, can end up leading to unhealthy habits. Uh, maybe instead of of finding rest and refreshment like alone time should be. Um, being alone can sometimes lead to isolation or maybe even a sense of, of righteousness about ourselves that we shouldn't have, such as, I don't need other people. Ever thought that thought? I don't need others. I don't need, I've got what I need, I've got what I need right here, Right? That becomes not only a danger to other people and to the community and to fellowship and those kinds of things, but it also becomes a danger to self. God's desire for us is that we experience what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called life together and what Paul talks about as being in harmony with one another. So that we can proclaim as a church, we are together. We're a church, we are together. So I want to look at what Paul wrote in Romans 15. So you can turn there with me, Romans 15, and uh, I'm going to read these all seven verses of the uh, the beginning of this chapter. So if you would, follow with me as I read aloud, and then we will zone in on just a few of these verses that I want us to focus our attention on. But let's get the whole thing in context here. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's let's pray. Father, I pray that as we look closer at this word, that it will be a word from you and not from me. Lord God, I, I want your Holy Spirit to, to give me the words to speak so that I can be transformed by this word and so that each of us gathered here today will be transformed by this word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are together when we live in harmony with one another. That's what he says there in verse 5. Paul begins this, or, or, or basically states this prayer, that, that to the effect that they would live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. To live in such harmony with one another. Literally, this means to think the same as one another. That might be um, a tall order. If we were to get every one of our minds together, and well, let's see, what are you thinking? What are you, th- what are you thinking? Uh, we'd all be thinking how many? 20 some odd different thoughts. And here's Paul saying, may God grant you to think the same as one another. Hmm. Why would he say something like that? And what did he mean by it? I guess that would be the the next question, right? Well, why? Because he's talking to the Romans. The Romans who make up a church of Roman citizens. What the Jewish people called Gentiles. All non-Jewish people. Yet there were also Jewish believers living in Rome. They were gathering together as the church as well. And you'll see from this this, uh, this book in, uh, of the Bible, Romans, as well as the other letters that Paul wrote, that the churches were made up of all kinds of diverse people, all kinds of diverse cultures, and language groups, and backgrounds. He describes them in other places, the church as being made up of Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. All socioeconomic backgrounds made up the church, To think that we live in a very diverse culture and that our churches are very, very diverse now in the 21st century uh, is to be very narrow-sighted, narrow-viewed, short-sighted, I guess, um, as far as our position in uh, in the history. The cultural and political and even religious differences of the people in Paul's time were extremely diverse. In fact, one of the things that caused them the most conflict was their religious convictions. That would never cause conflict today, would it? We would never have conflict over religious convictions, would we? Where one group says, well, I think we should worship like this, and another group says, well, I think we ought to worship like this. Well, I think... We should only watch these kinds of television shows and movies, and I think we should do whatever we want, and I think we should uh, not dance, and I think we should dance, and I think we should drink alcohol, and I think we should never drink alcohol, and etc., etc. And you go down the list, right? We would never disagree about such things, right? Religious convictions. <clears throat> the fact is. Paul was dealing right here in this very passage when he refers to strong and weak at the beginning of our reading we saw that he's referring to people with different religious convictions those who have certain convictions of we better not do that we better not do that and others who are saying look that's okay in Christ it's all good We don't have those kinds of limitations anymore. The church is made up of all kinds of differences. Both age, I look out here, I see different age groups, um, different uh, cultural backgrounds, or at least, um, you know, we have our individual stories, right? Maybe we all, we all grew up probably in different ways. Got different family backgrounds, family histories. But we're all one body, one family together in Christ. The, the church is, I, I want you to think of it like this. The church is like a symphony orchestra. And throw in the chorus there too. You know, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of singers there as well. And you have all of these diverse instruments playing, right? And you have, on one hand, you've got these string instruments, and they have their kind of thing, their kind of little, you know, you know violin, cello, bow, you know, playing thing. And then you've got, over on the other end, you've got these brass players, and, and they're, they're completely different people. I don't know if you've ever known some musicians, but string players and brass players, not the same. They're not the same people. You wonder, how in the world can they mix together? How, how can they function together and work together? And then you've got the singers, the throats, as uh, the musicians used to call them back when I was in college. And, you've got, and they're a, ho- a whole different breed as well. The church is like that. The church is made up of all these diverse instrumentations. Yet, just like a, a symphony orchestra and chorus it's all playing the same masterpiece. It's all sounding the same harmony. There's tension, certainly. There's a little bit of conflict, but it tends to resolve itself in the beauty of the music that we're creating. And the masterpiece that we're all proclaiming together is Jesus. That's who we're proclaiming together. Look at what he says when he's talking about living in such harmony <laughs> or maybe you could say um, playing in such <laughs> harmony. If you want to imagine the musicians and the singers together playing. But look look where this comes from. Look, look what the source of this is and he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you this. He doesn't say, Hey, Good luck with this. This is how you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be together. You're supposed to be in community with one another. Get it right. He says, no, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you this. May He do this thing in you. May the God of endurance and encouragement. uh, He's echoing the same words that were in verse 4 when he talks about um, what was written for our instruction, the Old Testament Scriptures was what Paul was referring to, and he says these were written for our instruction so that through endurance, perseverance, carrying on, continuing on, and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, the, the Scriptures comforts us, it challenges us, it encourages us. We might have hope, he says we might have hope. God then, he says, uh, as he turns the, turns the thought to a prayer uh, concerning the Roman believers, may the God of endurance and encouragement, he's saying it's God who provides the encouragement. It's God who, as the source of Scripture, gives us that encouragement so that we can have hope. Not a hope of our religious convictions Not the hope that if I, as long as I have it all worked out, as long as I'm doing all of the right things and my convictions are correct, that there is hope for my life and hope for my family after me and hope for my afterlife. No, the hope is in Jesus. Which is why he says, in accord with Christ Jesus he wants us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Because it's only through Jesus that we actually have harmony together. It's only through Jesus that we stay on pitch, so to speak. In other words, that we maintain that harmony. So if we want to think of um, the community of the church as this harmonious um, ensemble of Musicians and singers. It's through Jesus. <laughs> through Jesus that we have that kind of harmony, that kind of community. And through Jesus we maintain that kind of community. So I want to share a couple of readings with you this morning, if I if I may. Um, I do enjoy reading. Um, I want to share with you a couple of things from from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book *Life Together*, such a such a beautiful book, and a small one too, easy to read. Just a little over a hundred pages, but listen to what he said about community, about maintaining this harmony in Christ. He says this. I am a brother to another person through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me. The other person has become a brother to me through what Jesus Christ did for him. This fact that we are brethren only through Jesus Christ is of immeasurable significance. Not only the other person who is earnest and devout who comes to me seeking brotherhood must I deal with in fellowship. My brother is rather that other person who has been redeemed by Christ. Delivered from his sin and called to faith in eternal life. Not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and his piety, right? His religious convictions. That's not what constitutes the basis of our community. Hmm. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were to be added to our community. Jesus and good times. Jesus and a healthy church. Jesus and um, taking care of each other's needs. Jesus and sharing all things. It remains Jesus for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and His work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We are together when we live in harmony with one another. And the harmony that we have is Christ. The harmony that we have is Christ. We are together when we glorify God together. Not only when we we live in harmony with one another, but when we glorify God together. Look at verse 6 with me. He says that he wants and desires and prays for the Romans to live in such harmony with one another that, in verse 6, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of our harmony, the purpose of our being in community with one another is that we glorify God. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. It is not for our, our ultimate purposes that we gather together. It's not for me personal, personally. It's not for my personal benefit. It's for God's glory. You know, I, I, before I get off on a tangent, because it'd be really easy to do, to talk about how we tend to choose churches based on how they're going to feed us. How they're going to help us, how they're going to meet my needs. That's the opposite of what Paul is talking about here. It's the opposite of what Jesus called us to. He said, no, you are the community. You are the church. There's no church hopping here. There's no well, it didn't really meet my needs. The purpose is to glorify God together. That's why we are a community. See, the, the problem with the Roman church is that they were doing the opposite? They were looking at the church as an opportunity to please themselves, to get their own, their own—I uh, don't know—benefit out of it. So, in verses one to three, Paul says, "Hey, those who are strong in their convictions about things have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak." And not to please ourselves, and not to please ourselves. Paul urged them to look with each look at each other with compassion, to have sympathy for one another. We we don't have the same convictions about things. And so instead instead of judging one another, we we show compassion on one another. We say, You have different convictions, that's okay. I'm going to love you anyway. And that's what he means in verse 2 when he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. He's echoing that, neighbor, uh, that neighborly concept in one of the, one of the laws, uh, the summations of the law from the Old Testament, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. So when he says, let, us, let each of us please his neighbor, he's really what he's really trying to say is, love your neighbor <laughs> as yourself. Instead of trying to to get your way, instead of trying to please yourself, look for ways that you can please other people in love towards them. And that's why he says to build them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them. Look for opportunities to show that kind of compassion to other people. The example then he gives is Christ. For Christ did not please himself, But as it is written, and this is from Psalm 69, he says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So, in other words, those reproaches, um, those people who were reproaching, who were slandering, who were speaking against God, Christ took those on himself. He didn't seek to please himself. Christ... Think about this. The second person of the Trinity who had all of the rights and the privileges of God humbled himself to please us. He denied his own rights in order to suffer shame, to suffer humiliation, and to die for us. He didn't please us by giving us whatever we asked for, and that's not what Paul is saying here. That please your neighbor by, well, whatever they want, do it. Oh, well, if you want to do that, we'll go ahead and do it. If you want to live that way, you go ahead and live that way. Not by by giving us whatever we asked for, because um, what we want and what we desire without Christ is going to lead to our destruction. But He gave us what is ultimately best? Himself. Himself. What if we lived that way? What if we looked at other people with the kind of grace and compassion that Jesus looked on us? What if we sought the best in other people? What if we, the best including not only grace and compassion, but the best including truth from God's Word? What if it even included pointing out error and sin and applying the good news of Jesus to our brokenness that we have with one another? What if? What if that was the kind of love that we showed one another? Not, not a, a, a human love, a, a love based on our natural affinities or natural affections or common interests but a love that was based on what Christ did for us. Um, Bonhoeffer says again in another passage of the same book, he says, There are two marks, both of which are one and the same, that manifest the difference between spiritual, the kind of Christ-like love, And the human love, the natural affinity with one another. Human love cannot tolerate the disillusion of a fellowship that has become false for the sake of genuine fellowship. And human love cannot love an enemy that is one who seriously and stubbornly resists it. Another resists fellowship. How many of you have been in a situation where Somebody's refusing to be together with you. Refusing to get together. Refusing the fellowship. Refusing to be in a church community. And what happens? You start to build up feelings of animosity. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. Human love cannot love somebody like that. Both, he says, spring from the same source. Human love is by its very nature desire. Desire for human community. We all want that community. We all look for it. So long as it can satisfy this desire in some way, it will not give it up. Even for the sake of truth. Even for the sake of genuine love for others. Have you thought about... um, Have you thought about the kind of community seeking that goes on In our culture nowadays (laughs) the kind of community that we seek in um, oh I don't know being a fan of a sport (laughs) the kind of community that the 12s have so to speak or maybe the kind of community that you find with your um, friends on Farmville or in other social media the kind of community that is available in all sorts of ways and shapes by by latching on to an affinity group. He says, that's a natural desire. And this kind of human love is going to gravitate towards all of those natural ways of getting your community fixed. But then he says this, but where it can no longer expect its desire to be fulfilled, There it stops short. When we find out, oh, that person has a different political view than me. Oh, that person has a different religious uh, view than me. Or conviction about certain things than me. There, he says, it turns into hatred, contempt. Contempt. He says, right here is the point where spiritual love begins. This is why human love becomes personal hatred when it encounters genuine spiritual love, which does not desire, but serves. Human love makes itself an end in itself. It creates of itself an end, an idol which it worships, to which it must subject everything. It nurses and cultivates an ideal. It loves itself and nothing else in the world. You ever thought about the I, the?" idea of community. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we all support each other? Wouldn't it be great if we all lived like this? Wouldn't it be great if we did that? And you start to elevate that ideal above Christ? I t- I'll tell you right now, I have. I have definitely felt that way. He says, spiritual love, however, comes from Jesus Christ. It serves Him alone. It knows that it has no... Immediate access to other persons. And by that he means except through Christ, except through our relationship with Christ. Reminding us that our community, our togetherness, is for the purpose of glorifying God through Jesus Christ. We're together when we live in harmony with one another we are together when we glorify god we are together when we welcome one another when we welcome one another verse 7 is the therefore so what does all this mean so so you want us to live in harmony together you want us to have one voice glorifying god see the music the 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 music language here in this i love it he says In verse 7, though, therefore, here's what I want you to do about it. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome. Some translations, receive or say accept. Kind of sounds a lot like tolerate each other. So therefore, I know you guys all have differences. So, why can't we all just get along, right? Just live and let live. Would you just uh, practice toleration of other people and everything will go just fine? Is that what he's saying? (laughs) Actually, no. That's not what he's saying. (laughs) He's saying welcome as in, open the door to your home and say, come into my home and be my family. Here, sit in the best chair. Here, you can have the best bedroom. Here, you can have the largest bathroom, the one that's actually clean. Uh, here, let us give you the best china, the best drink, the best food that we have. That's the welcome that he's talking about. That's the welcome that is behind that word in the New Testament. That is a kind of welcome. It's more than being kind. It's more than being civil towards one another. It's more than a, a hearty handshake on Sunday morning. It is receiving that person as a loving member of your family. It means to receive that person into your hearts as well as your homes. My parents... Sh- I think, when I think about this concept of welcoming one another, I think of my parents and the example that they have shown to me throughout my entire life. I remember as a child, we would have young people come and stay with us, sometimes for weeks at a time, because of their uh, trouble maybe in their own family. They welcomed them into their home. They said, come, We'll make a bed for you. We'll have a place for you. You'll be part of our family. I can't tell you how many people my parents have loved like that over the years that call them dad and mom or aunt and uncle or nowadays um, grandpa and grandma because they loved people like that. Every, every time we went over to their house for dinner... On Sunday afternoon, there was a guest there every single time. (laughs) Without fail, there's somebody there, maybe a single person, maybe a single mom, maybe a college student, who has no other family in the area, no other, you know, no one else is looking out for them, and there's a place at the table for them. There's a place for them. Welcome one another into your family. We welcome one another this way because we are family and because Christ welcomed us. Right? Christ has welcomed you. He says, do this, welcome one another as or just as or in the same way or uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, Christ has welcomed you all. As well. He does not merely tolerate us. Like. Well those are those. Those are those Christians. Who I got to love. Because I died for them. You know. They drive me crazy. I mean we may say that about our children. Or our family members. They drive me crazy. But I still love them. Because we're family. And we may even say that about each other. But Paul wants us to go beyond that to go beyond the mere toleration to loving us that way. He he, He did not merely tolerate us, but He died for us. And He offers us the grace to be a part of His family. Be my brother, He says. Be my sister. Come into this heavenly family. What if Jesus had closed the door on us and set the bolt, set the alarm system and opted for being alone. <laughs> we t- started out with that question of aloneness, right? Not, aloneness isn't bad. And we all have different personalities. And we all thrive and, and get our energy from one thing or another. Some from aloneness and some from being with other people. Paul's not saying, I want all of you to be extroverted. And I want all of you to be social butterflies. But he's saying, be together. Be together be in community jesus didn't opt for being alone satisfied with just the community of the father and the son and the spirit he could have i suppose he had a perfect he had perfect community what else would he need but he welcomed us by making us part of his family how should we respond how should you respond what, what if we were to welcome one another as family? Because that's what we are in Christ. What if we were to live in harmony with one another? Uh, proclaiming the, this masterpiece of Jesus with our diverse voices. What if we glorified God together? That's our ultimate purpose anyway. What if we sought that what if we made that a priority? What if, we, what if we made that the thing that we put, like maybe the thing that was, was, was talking back to us on our mirror, the card or the, the, the banner on our doorposts or the whatever it might be that reminds you of what needs to be central. What if that was our, 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 our life <laughs> together? through Christ. Let's pray. Father, I don't know exactly how people need to respond today. I don't know exactly um, what it is that through the, through the words of this message um, you have said to each heart. God, I... I my guess is that some here have been convicted about maybe how they've been treating another person. Um, maybe not. Maybe maybe not poorly, um, but maybe just just neglecting. Um, God, maybe maybe there's there's confession that needs to take place. Um, maybe there's self-centeredness, and maybe there's that kind of sense of self-righteousness that says, I, I, I got all my needs met. I don't really need anybody else. But then, through this message, God, you have, have spoken to us and have said that, no, that's not true. Um, and you've said, I, I made you to be part of this family, part of a community. And I want you to live in that way with each other. God, maybe maybe there's a lot of things going on in our hearts that you want to correct. So God, I ask that you will do that. I ask that God, we will respond in, in real concrete terms today. That we'll make a decision. That we'll record that decision. And that by your grace, we will be able to walk in that. We'll be able to To live the way you want us to live. Because God, it's you who makes the church. You who makes this community. Out of all of these diverse instruments and voices, God, you create one um, beautiful ensemble that is declaring your praise and declaring the glory of God. It is you. So we ask that you will do something. And we, we confess that we need you And so, God, as we sing a song in response, God, it's not our effort that we're singing about. It's you in us that we're singing about, helping us to be what you've called us to be. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.